Good morning, everybody. This is Mina Malapetti with The Seamless Connection, and I'm looking forward to having a lovely morning chat with Joe DeVivo, um, former um, CEO of InTouch and um, head of hospitals and health systems at uh, Teladoc Health. Uh, Joe, good morning. Pleasure to see you today. Good morning, Mina. It's nice to see you as well. Um, just as a quick background for those in our audience that might not be familiar with you, could you mind giving them a little bit of your background and, and what you've been doing for the last few years? Absolutely. So um, I've been very blessed to be on the, uh, the medical uh, journey. I've been in uh, the medical device industry for the, the first uh, uh, 26 years of, of my healthcare experience and started off my first five in a small family business. Um, but then the last six or seven years, um, I've been blessed to be a part of this new digital uh, virtual um, wave and, and excitement and lucky enough to um, be involved with the great team at InTouch since 2016 um, and had the ability to see some of the provider to provider uh, telehealth uh, flourish. So um, I'm very much entrenched in digital today. I've uh, we did sell InTouch uh, to Teladoc. Um, I stayed uh, for a couple of years to make sure there was a good transition. And now I'm taking some time off. Uh, and I, I, I would, uh, I've told people I'm going to retire and I feel that I'm uh, still retired, but <laughs> I get twinges <laughs> every once in a while, <clears throat> excuse me, to, to go do something. So uh, you never know. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic, and I'm very jealous. I uh, looking forward. Your experiences are amazing. Um, at AmplifyMD, we're kind of in the same area, but would love to kind of understand what drew you to that space, right? You were at AngioDynamics, and um, way back when, in my previous finance life, uh, that was one of the companies that I that I followed and invested in. So I've kind of followed your career from from then, but wanted to understand kind of how, what brought you from that side, more of the med tech devices side of things to virtual healthcare and what drew you into this? Well, well thank you. It's a, it's a great question. Um, my uh, very early in my career, when I was at US Surgical, I was fascinated uh, with robotics. Uh, at Surgical, we had all kinds of devices, uh, graspers, uh, energy devices, stapling devices. And I was always fascinated. This was, you know, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, no, I'm sorry. This is late 90s. I apologize. Um, but I was fascinated with um, robotics and surgical robotics. And I got to meet um, probably one of the most uh, incredible human beings I've, I've, I've gotten to know, uh, Dr. Yulin Wong. And he founded Computer Motion, which was the first surgical uh, robotics company. And I moved my family to Santa Barbara and worked with him. And we ultimately led uh, a merger and sale of uh, Computer Motion to Intuitive. So on that experience, I then went on for the rest of my career, and Ewan went back uh, with his tremendous vision, um, because you know there was a, a one operation that really informed his thought process, and that was in in 2001 um, he pioneered something called the Lindbergh procedure, where he broke the robot in two. He was always fascinated that when you had a surgical robot, you have a, a physician who's in the room. And, but they're not sterile and they're manipulating devices and the signal of those devices travel 20 feet to the table. And he always said to himself, well, if a, if a surgeon can, can transmute their capabilities over 20 feet worth of cable, uh, can they do it over 4,000 miles? And so he brought a French surgeon to New York City 
who then took the gallbladder out of his patient in France in 2001. So talk about distance, virtual, you know, bringing specialty care far away. I mean, you don't get more complex than uh, taking a gallbladder out of a patient from 4,000 miles away. So his second company was in robotics, but also in telemedicine. And he was focused, you know, as you're focused on the ability of bringing a specialist to uh, everywhere uh, that is needed. And uh, you know, because I worked with him in the first company and we were so successful and I absolutely loved the man, I actually relocated my family again back to Santa Barbara for his second company. And uh, it was a complete joy. I, I don't know I can't say that I was such an incredible visionary that oh, I saw these trends and jumped into it. But boy, when Yulin told me what he was doing, I believed and uh, I believed enough to move my family and, and make the commitment. That's amazing. And, um, you know, speaking as a native Californian, um, I am excited that we got you back twice and sad that we couldn't keep you here forever. But <laughs> um, it's and it's really refreshing to hear that it was the people and the connections that you made with with Dr. Wang and with kind of what you guys had done before that kind of brought you to your progressive next steps. Because a lot of people will try and say, yeah, I knew I could see this coming 10 years out. I'm like, sometimes, sure. But it's 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 usually something else that's more personal that's a deeper connection so well when um, he explained realized... it to me i'll tell you when he explained it to me i got I, I got it and saw it but before that it was like a truck that hit me i had no idea and uh, mm -hmm. just happy to to have met him so when you were at in touch i know a lot of work that you've done recently and a lot of the writing you've done recently has been about patient safety and and um you know obviously doing surgeries remotely or from our point of view taking care of patients from a specialty perspective rounding on them from cardiology, hematology, you know, high touch, high risk areas, um, patient safety from a virtual perspective is very different and just as important from an in-person perspective. How's your time at um, InTouch and Teladoc shaped how you see? I'm sure there was wins and I'm sure there were losses, right? And, and things you learned. What have, what have you kind of considered your biggest lessons there both ways? Well, I'd almost reframe the question um, because it was it was not my time at, at InTouch uh, or Teladoc that taught me patient safety. It was, it was my time in the medical device industry. Um, you know, oh. we we are a highly regulated industry. We you know we have to make sure that what we manufacture is exactly what we say we manufacture. We have to you know prove our product works well in advance of, a, of it ever getting to a patient. Uh, we have to watch what we say. Uh, to those who use our product, and there's a huge process in place. And then we could do all that well and never get paid. So, you know, there, there's so much to understand. And over time, you know, when you're in those positions, you just want to get the fastest FDA clearance. And you want to get through this and get through that and get the reimbursement. <clears throat> but when you step back, you realize that these uh, checks and balances are incredibly healthy for patient safety. You know, because they're, you know, pa patients are going to make a decision. Um, you better make sure that whatever you tell them is correct. And so I came into digital with that discipline. Um, not a lot of people who are coming into digital and virtual, um, you know, have had the ability to have that kind of appreciation. And sometimes people don't realize that things that they say have consequences. So this will heal you or you will do better with this or, or, or whatnot. And obviously you're here on pharma. I mean, how regulated their communications are and all the advertising they do. So, um, Patient safety for me is everything. Uh, I love being in this in this industry because um, you know you can grow your career, make money for your family, develop your talents. Uh, oh, and by the way, uh, you've helped somebody, you've improved their yes. life, and that just yes. is such a motivator. 
And, and the converse is true. You hurt someone. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, so, um, I, I'm a, I have tremendous re respect for the regulatory environment. I, I actually led, uh, Avamed's efforts. I was a chairman of the digital center for Avamed. Avamed is the medical device trade association. And I led digital health because I, I absolutely believed that uh, a brick and mortar medical company um, needs to have a digital strategy. And if they don't have a digital strategy, uh, they will be responding to someone else's. Uh, but then also you know, a digital company like, uh, you know, the Apples, the Microsofts, the Googles, the, you know, or, or any software company who has an application coming into healthcare. You know, we have to understand that line between when does, you know, in healthcare IT, you know, when does IT end and actually healthcare begin and where is their consequence? And, and when we were and, and at InTouch, when we were diagnosing stroke from afar, uh, and especially earlier in the day when the internet wasn't as stable, you know, we had to build this whole networking infrastructure because we felt that if, if someone was relying on a remote physician to make an urgent diagnosis where their time uh, is their life, um, you know, we, this better not fail. And so we treated the digital environment as if it was a re regulated medical device. And, uh, and I think that served us well. No, and that, that's that's exactly right. When it, the, what's the thing? What time is brain? Right? You got that's that thirty-second right. response. Two minutes. Uh, it can make a huge difference. Time is brain. And imagine um, a, a dropped call while a doctor is looking at a stroke patient, and or the image is fuzzy, or something happens, and those minutes go by. You know, um, if anything ever happened with our technology, and there was any issue, I mean, it was devastating to us. So. Um, yeah. and, and I think that's the honor and privilege of, of being in healthcare. Yeah, and, and I completely uh, agree with, with where you're going. We do both the clinical side as well as the tech side. So we've had, you know, you have the credentialing time frame, the 30, 60, 90, God knows what long uh, days to get your physicians approved. Then you also have the IT review. So mm -hmm. from the flip side of it, how do you... Um, how do you think about it from work having worked with hospitals for so long and from the enterprise perspective for so long? One of the challenges in working with a, a health system is um, no one ever got fired for hiring IBM, right? You, it's easy to go with that safe choice. It's, it's easy to do what's always been done, but then that kind of blocks progress, blocks the innovations that you've been working towards for these last decades. Um, how did you kind of fight that battle at the same time respecting the importance of I need to follow these check marks, these rules, these um, these checks and balances, as you said so well, make sure that we're doing it safely, but at the same time, we're continuing to make progress forward on things that maybe, you know, as we've seen in the last couple of years, have never been done before. Well, uh, it's a great question. And, and our our um, our intention was um, that we were IBM. Uh, we, you know, that IBM knew nothing about our space, but we were going to be experts in our space. And um, and I think that's what's so special about, you know, what what uh, Dr. What Dr. Wong did and, and the InTouch team is when they started, you know, they, they had just sold computer motion for a big price tag to intuitive surgical. And uh, and when they when they went out, they were making a robot and they were and the robot was supposed to round from patient room to patient room. And when after the first three or four years of the company and they 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 said, OK, we're now going to we're we've done all the hardware development. Now we're going to do our beta testing. They couldn't connect to the robot. You know, there's no cellular network out there that that you yeah. could just, you know, uh, that you can just get into in 2003, 2004 and five. Uh, they had to ride the Wi-Fi of the hospital, which meant they were going through ISDN lines at times and using VPNs. 
And they said to themselves, wow, we can't do medical procedures, uh, you know, through an ISDN line with a VPN that's very unstable. And so they, they paused other development and they actually created a network. They built data centers all around the world and they had their code only running in a secure private cloud. So they were able to control the traffic. They knew the bandwidth on your side. They knew the bandwidth on, on their side. They knew the track through the hospital and they built an ADT type of service center that would look at the connections and they built special code that would speak to the devices. So they knew the devices were online. Just like, you know, if someone's house alarm goes off, the police station calls. Well, our customer, our technical assistance center, if they didn't see a device that was hooked up to our network, if it went offline, they'd call the hospital immediately as if it was a three alarm fire. And the hospital, like, what are you talking about? And then they would realize that their network went down and we'd be the ones that would tell them. And the only reason why we did that networking was because Yulin had the integrity to say, we have to, this is a medical procedure. We're not going to rely on, on, you know, we're going to take ownership of, of, of every single step of that experience. And we're not going to uh, allow it to fail. And I think that's where that integrity uh, comes from. Instead of saying, oh, well, it would have been good if your network was better. Uh, that, uh, healthcare systems don't like that. Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, what have you found most challenging working with hospital systems in the last few years, especially you know, things changed with COVID? You know, the like when I when I look at um, I, when I look at the markets that we're serving, especially in telehealth, you know, we're a cost to the hospital, and we're in a cost center in an IT budget cost center. So you know, and so at the end of the day, that IT budget's cost center. We're we're not a reimbursed procedure where we are cost of goods, where the more procedures you do, the more money you make. We're, you know, our business was, you know, a cost to the hospital. And we had to work on business models that became more and more profitable for them. But but to the extent that they looked at, at us as a cost, and then they see how much they're paying for their EMR, they're saying, well, gosh, can't my EMR do this? And EMR is a record uh, in, in a tool. It's not a, a clinical engagement tool. I think that's what the biggest challenge was. I, I would have I'd like to see in the future as reimbursement firms up the ability of, of having a more, uh, a more, uh, you know, that we're a part of the procedural costs and the operating costs and not the IT costs of the hospital. And so it's uh, it's a whole different um, buying cycle. And I think that that's a challenge. Were you able to ever have that conversation with them instead of them seeing telehealth as a cost center? Cause I've, I've obviously had very similar conversations um, as more of a way to bring in patients and reach patients they otherwise weren't reaching or, you know, keep patients that they were otherwise losing through transfers or patient leakage? A hundred percent. And I think that was really the pitch before COVID uh, because people were not, you know, they didn't have the awareness of what the capability was. And then we had COVID come in and telehealth was virtually the sustainability of everyone's practices. So what, what happened was everyone built an awareness and realized that there was capabilities. But I also think those that were forced into telemedicine during COVID uh, have kind of shunned it now. Uh, and I, and they shun it now just because, you know, it, it makes no sense for me to do a video visit if I could just go down the street and see somebody, unless there's a real major scheduling issue. And that was really where, you know, through COVID, 80% of the new volume came was, you know, not really appropriate telehealth use cases that, that make the health system profitable. So, you know, so we're actually, the whole industry is sitting in this kind of, you know, no man's land right now because we don't have permanent reimbursement. We are part of a health emergency. 
that health emergency is waning now, and there's no that we we don't we're all lobbying very hard, but we don't have a clear path to where, where it's permanent. Uh, I, I think where we've been successful is we have to show you know we have to get out of the ether of telehealth and get into the individual use case and show how by using this you can you know like in doing subspecialty uh, care like especially like you do. <clears throat> excuse me. We were able to show hospitals how they can increase their catchment area, how they can attract patients from a larger area. And and early on, people using our capabilities, patients were driving by competitive hospitals to get to the telehealth hospital. So it, it is absolutely, but it can't be just sold to the hospital. Oh, this is going to grow uh, your population. You actually have to peel it into the use case and, and into, into the specificity of how it'll do that. But uh, we even have some of the some of the greatest success in value-based uh, organizations, those who, you know, really have, you know, a kind of a, a fixed set of revenue and, and costs that they need to contain. And it's it's all about creating the right financial model for them. Yep, completely agree, especially with the flexibility that telehealth gives you um, and, and the way that you can reach the patient kind of wherever they are, meet them where they need to be. Um, we, we've seen a lot of impacts from that similarly. It's a great equalizer. You know, it, it's, so, it's so important to be able to deliver subspecialty care to rural sites. It, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's the whole promise of why digital can, it can be a solution is help somebody who's not getting subspecialty cardiology care, neurology care, nephrology care. You know, there's, what, we, what we did learn through COVID was a lot of what we do can be done virtually. Not everything, it's not a replacement. It's it's a, yep. it's an amplifier. Yep, exactly. Um, and that's one of the things that we talk about a lot internally is health equity, right? Just like we talk about with schools, like the quality of your education shouldn't matter based on your zip code. Healthcare, same thing. The quality of your health outcomes, what you have access to, really shouldn't depend. And, and there will always be cases that need to be transferred, but what we found is about eighty to eighty-five percent, you know, can be done virtually with yep. if, if that hospital is willing to to take that step. So right. um, I'm excited to see where the future goes for you. What when you left? Um, I think it was just a few months ago, so it's, it's it's still very fresh in your mind. When you left, what are you? What did you think of as your most proud achievement? What were you so excited to have left your mark on when you were leaving Teladoc um, earlier this year? Whether well, it was at Teladoc or over your time. Well, over well, I mean, uh, you know, first of all, I, I'm I'm proud of the, the the team at InTouch, and I really am. And you know, a lot of leaders would, would say that, and people go, yeah, yeah, that's a nice thing to say. My people uh, there know I mean it. Um, you know, we uh, we really tried to do things right. Uh, we took we took care of our own in the in the tough times. We put the patients and the hospitals always first. We built a great reputation, um, and. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to stay at Teladoc because, you know, I really uh, loved my team. And when you go through, I've been through many acquisitions. I've bought companies and I've been bought. And I understand, you know, the, the, the lack of stability for it. And, and, you know, Teladoc made another acquisition right after us and everyone and the leadership left day one. And I thought that was a horrible, horrible thing for the business. Uh, so I wanted to stay and I wanted to stay in the company and make sure that my, that the company understood the quality of my team. You know, I didn't want anyone. And then also uh, my team can show their wares and, and stay together because I, I, I truly believe Teladoc was a great amplifier for our business. Um, you know, we're, we're, we can come up with all these use cases, but at the end of the day, you know, when this becomes mature, 
um, we should, we're probably never going to talk about telehealth again because it should be just health and it should be a use case that's a, that is just obvious. If you can't have a subspecialist in a rural area, you're going to, you're going to do a virtual and there's, they're going to have coverage and that's just the way it is. So let's not talk about it. Let's just do it. Or, you know, people are going to have 24 seven care or we're going to be able to manage chronic, chronic diseases and we're going to be able to take these people and, and we shouldn't be talking about telehealth. It's, it should just be done. It should be paid for and it should just be done. But I, I'm most proud. Uh, of all the people uh, that that were on the journey and the energy we created, uh, the trust we created, and the results we produced. That's great. And then as you're looking forward, what are you most excited about for yourself? I know you said earlier we were talking, um, you're still kind of figuring out what you want to do if you're really fully retiring or not. Um, can you give us a peek into your thoughts there? Well, I've really enjoyed helping uh, some small companies on their boards uh, recently. And so I've kind of poured myself more into that. I still do my charity work, um, and and that really motivates me. Uh, I haven't been too energized by you know a bunch of the you know go and fix this, go and fix this, you know, come in as a new CEO someplace. I've done that so many times, uh, but I will say um, I have an idea I'm working on that I'm pretty inspired by. And if I could uh, if I could uh, figure out how to get this to lift off, it, it'd be the the next new uh, digital healthcare company. And so uh, I'm playing with that right now. I've never started a company before, so I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about uh, doing that. Oh, that's awesome. Is, can you. You, uh, is that a, a kind of 2023 thing? Or oh, it's Project bit? X. I can't tell you what it is yet. So. <laughs> That's lovely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your morning with me. Um, I really have appreciated this time and the chance to get to know you and everything you've done with um, with InTouch, with Teladoc, with just healthcare in general for the last few uh, decades. So I appreciate you sharing your wealth of knowledge. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be with you, Mina.